morning and welcome. We're glad that you are here this morning. Obviously, you got the email or the Facebook note because you're here. And we are glad for that. A number of announcements for you this morning. We'll start with communion. That's going to be here uh, at the end of the service. If you missed the communion, our communion table. Uh, in the back there to grab your uh, juice and cracker. I'd encourage you to do that at some point here before the message, preferably. Uh, That way you can be ready and prepared uh, to take communion with us uh, together. Secondly, we have an Alive event scheduled for today. We're going to bump that to Wednesday. So if you're a teen or a parent of a teen and you are planning on being at the Browns today from 6 to 11, plan to be at the Browns on Wednesday from 6 to 11, not today. All right. Uh, next, you'll see on the slide, it just disappeared. Exit out these doors. You can forget that if you want to. Uh, with the rain, feel free to go back through the foyer and out the, the carport exit. Uh, I'm sure that your husband or whoever drove you would love to be chivalrous and drive right through to pick you up so you don't have to get wet. Uh, additionally, we'll pick up Sunday school again next week. We'll have our adult Sunday school classes going on in the youth room and downstairs in the fellowship hall. We're planning tentatively to get some uh, children's ministry Uh, Sunday school classes started hopefully in September, Uh, so for those of you that are just ready to get back into Sunday school like I am with the teens too, uh, come September, that is our desire and our hope uh, to get that way, and hopefully we'll get the nursery going a little bit sooner. Speaking of nursery, Julie's having another baby. Next, we're going to pray. Thank you very much. Pray for Kenzie and mom and dad. What did she do? Oh, when she do? That's one of those questions. Uh, January 28. January 28. Yes. So uh, I'll pray, and then now uh, we've got a couple of guest speakers this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we have to be together as a faith family here. Just pray for uh, Pastor Mark as he comes to share that you would uh, give him clarity of thought and the words to say and us hearts and ears to be receptive to your truth as it's communicated. Uh, God, we thank you so much for uh, the camp ministries that have been uh, opened in some fashion for us to be able to participate in. And uh, we just thank you for Sophie and Lucretia and their opportunity to be a part of camp ministry this summer. And uh, God, we just ask that uh, you would continue to replenish the earth with this rain. We thank you for that. And we look forward to all that you have in store for us this week. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. This time we're going to have Lucretia and Sophie come and join me up on the stage. Uh, Lucretia participated in Lake Ann Camp Senior High Camp this summer. And Sophie uh, had the opportunity to guest counsel at Lincoln Lake. Uh, Baptist camp over in the Grand Rapids area. So I've asked them to come and share a testimony of their time there. So if you guys want to come over here, who's first? You can go first. The camper will go first. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so on July 6th, I got to go to Lake Ann Camp one final time as a senior high camper. I'd like to say a big thank you to the church for um, helping pay for me to get there, and all these past years, too. Like, I, without you guys, I literally wouldn't be able to embark on that experience, and just, um, Lake Ann Camp has had a huge impact on my spiritual walk with the Lord, so you guys, like, 
um, being so generous and like putting money towards the Camp Foundation has really changed lives. So thank you for that. Um, but going into the week, normally I'm like praying for my cabin and my cabin mates and stuff like that before the week. But like with COVID and everything, I kind of didn't really think camp was going to happen. So I kind of stopped doing that and um, getting there the first day. The Lord blessed me with, like, the most amazing group ever. Um, all of us just got along right from the start, and we were all very similar in, like, our spiritual walk with the Lord, and it was just a really great experience being um, placed with people like that. And so, and the other thing that I thought was really cool after, um, like, going through the week and seeing how amazing it was is the Lord truly does place you in the cabins that he wants you to be with. Sometimes you're like, uh this cabin's kind of weird, not really into it, but like he places you at that cabin for a certain reason, and there's obviously some kind of lesson he wants you to learn from that week, and um, if COVID wouldn't have happened, half of the people in my cabin I never would have met like in my life, because we had like the week three kids that normally go the 4th of July week, and then there's the week four kids that normally go the church's week, and so we all like ended up going the same week, because like the week three kids camp got canceled for us, so like, there's some pretty amazing kids that I got to meet and still in contact with, and I know I'll remain in contact with over the years. So that's a major blessing, just seeing how the Lord worked through, like, the pandemic. And, like, yeah, it sucked that camp got canceled, but then I got to meet some pretty amazing people from it. And um, that was the big thing that was kind of eye-opening to, like, see how the Lord worked through COVID, because that was kind of a hard time this past five months, because it's been five months since this has been going on, like with school ending and stuff like that, just seeing like kind of a bright light at the end of the tunnel. And it also just gave me like big closure on kind of like my childhood, because now I'm no longer able to go to camp as a camper. And just like, I didn't really get to get to say goodbye to like high school. So this was kind of a chance for me to say goodbye to like this like previous chapter of my life. So um, it was a very emotional week, but also a very good week. And it was just a major blessing, like, from the people that I met. And um, Ken Rudolph's sermons were always, of course, amazing. And one of his sermons was about how par powerful prayer is. And if you remember from last year when I talked about Reborn, that was, like, the big takeaway that I had was prayer is powerful. And so I know this is over three minutes probably, but... <laughs> um, so he had a message about prayer is powerful. And this past senior year, the big thing that I've been praying for was for the Lord to open up my heart and lead me to the school that he wanted me to go to. And just like, it was kind of a whole, I mean, it's hard making decisions. And I've talked to some of you about it. It's like, I don't know what he wants me to do. And so um, constantly I was praying for him to guide me and lead me to where he wanted me to go. And, um, and so anyways, I feel called to go to Cedarville University. So that was the big thing I applied. I got accepted, and I was like, ooh, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. So then prayer. Prayer is powerful. Lord, provide for me. I know if you want me there, you'll make it clear. And he blessed me with several scholarships and um, financial, like, financial provision that I never would have expected to get. So um, I'm very excited to, for the next year of my life and just to see what the Lord has in plan for me. And prayer is powerful and never stop praying. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, uh, as Pastor Mark said, or maybe it was Pastor Chris, I don't remember who it was. Um, I was a guest counselor at Lincoln Lake Camp a, co a couple weeks ago, and uh, I've grown up going to camp and being a camper, so I knew that I had the energy and the fun to be able to have a good time at camp. Uh, but let me tell you, staff is way different than being a camper. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, I, I was trying to mentally prepare myself for, like, the emotional drain and the physical drain that it would be to, you know, get the campers excited every single day. Um, but a couple of days were a little hard, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, but all throughout the week, uh, I was just reminded of God's faithfulness and just how good he is. And it was so cool just to see him work in the lives of the campers um, and in my life. Um, I had eight middle school girls in my cabin. And... Um, I was, as I said, I was a little nervous to go into the week just because I'd never been on staff before. But um, as soon as I got to the camp um, and I met the other staffers, it was, I knew it was going to be a good week because uh, I could already tell God was so present and um, everyone was just so encouraging. And uh, throughout the week, I had multiple, um, multiple people from staff come check in on me, make sure I was doing okay. And uh, it was super helpful because Debbie Erbacher, she goes here, she works at the camp, and that's how I got into guest counseling there. Um, her cabin and my cabin were kind of like partners throughout the week. We were on the same team. So that was super helpful, and God definitely used her to help me help the kids. <laughs> um, so, yeah, God really encouraged me through Debbie that week especially. Um, and it was really cool uh, to see, like, the other side of camp and to be the one encouraging the kids to participate and to get involved in uh, chapel and then, play the games and that kind of stuff, and it was just so cool for me to see the girls really, um, really open up and um, de uh, deepen their relationships with Christ, and I got to have gospel conversations with all of them, all eight of my girls, which was really exciting. Um, seven of them were saved before coming to camp, um, praise the Lord, <laughs> and one of my campers, Anna, um, she is not saved she is asking a lot of really good questions throughout the week, um, and I was able to present the gospel to her, and um, she did not accept Christ, but she, she's really close. Like, she has so many good questions, and she has a good church back home that she can ask a lot of questions with. Um, so if you can be praying for Anna, that would be awesome. Um, but yeah, so God just reminded me of his faithfulness throughout the week. Uh, when I was praying all week, that he would just give me the words to say to any questions. Being a camper, I know the crazy questions counselors probably get. And then as a counselor, I did get those questions. So it was like, God, how do I respond to these? Help me uh, with words to say and um, just the strength to um, just to get through the week. And um, God really provided. Um, if, even if I didn't know the answer to a question, I was able to talk to other counselors and other staff and get their opinion and get back to the girls and stuff. So that was that was a big blessing to be able to be surrounded by uh, people like that who could help when needed. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot about patience <laughs> this week. Uh, Thursday especially was a hard day. Uh, it was like everyone was tired and cranky and all that stuff. So I was, God blessed me with lots of patience that day. <laughs> um, but overall, I was just so thankful to be there, and I'm actually going back this week to guest council again. I will be uh, in, it's elementary camp, so I'll have 
third through sixth graders, I think, is what's coming. So if you could be praying for me uh, and Debbie as we're both going back to council this week, that would be much appreciated. Um, and as Lucretia said, prayer is powerful, and I really believe that. So thank you, guys. Thanks, ladies. Uh, would you guys stand, all stand with me at this time, and we're just going to pray again, and we're just going to thank God for what he did uh, through the lives of Sophie, or in Sophie and Lucretia. But they weren't the only ones who went to camp, and uh, they're not the only ones who are counseling at camp, and Lake Ann continues to minister, as does Lincoln Lake and other camps that, uh, in, our, in our area. And so we want to just ask God's blessing on, on those things and uh, give thanks for what he did through their lives. <clears throat> Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you for how we have uh, even heard this morning of how you have worked in, in lives, even recently. Even in times with uh, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of questions and a lot of uh, wondering what in the world is going on. Uh, God, we're thankful that you're still at work. Uh, you're not asking those questions. Uh, you know exactly what's happening and you are sovereignly working things out for your, your good purposes. And uh, we've seen that in the scriptures. We're, we're hearing that even in, through testimony. And so God, help us uh, even to, to continue to believe that and to consider that even in our own heart. Lord, we do pray for uh, Sophie and Debbie at Lincoln Lake. We pray for the ministry of Lake Ann as it continues and other camps that uh, you would help them. Lord, that they would be effective in their, their witness, in their uh, teaching, in their impact of these children and students. We ask for your protection over those camps and uh, help them be wise in the choices that they're making. And we'll give thanks. God, we pray your blessing now in our time as we look into your word. We pray that you receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We were supposed to be in the parking lot this morning, as you, as you knew. And so uh, we had decided that we were going to take a, a break from Acts while we were in the parking lot. And so uh, we're taking just a, a, a Sunday away from Acts uh, this morning. And as we observe communion in just a few moments, um, appropriate that we look together today at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we commonly call this uh, Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or communion. And uh, some of your Bibles might not use the word communion. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just one chapter previous to the one we'll be looking at, Paul writes in verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Uh, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. That word participation in the ESV is translated communion in the New King James Version. But both of those words come from the original word that's called koinonia, which means fellowship uh, or sharing. But as we think about communion this morning, as we think about this, this idea of the Lord's Supper, we, we want to ask, well, what, what, what even is it? What, what, what's, what's happening in communion? We might say, well, it's, it's bread and it's, it's a cup, right? You have a little... A little sampling of it, uh, maybe in your hand or, or sitting beside you even right now. But, but more than that, what, what's actually going on in communion? You know, we usually do this monthly, um, but maybe you know other churches 
or other people who, who observe communion a little bit differently, or they think some different things are happening in communion than, than you might think. Um, so we want to ask the question, why do we do what we do? Uh, we don't want to just assume that we all maybe, maybe understand communion this morning, but, but why are we doing what we are doing? So as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is a, a principle passage, kind of a, a really main passage of, of the teaching on, on communion uh, by by, by Paul, and he's writing to a church, uh, the church of Corinth. And if you know anything about Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, you know that Paul doesn't really mess around. He doesn't mince words. He is pretty confrontational about the areas of the church that need to be confronted. He doesn't, uh, doesn't shy away from the hard subjects. Uh, he says what needs to be said. And here in chapter 11, he's confronting uh, the church's inappropriate attitude in actions concerning the Lord's Supper, how they have been treating the Lord's Supper. Look at it in verse 17 with me. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Okay, so how do you like that for preface, right? So I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not really happy about how you're doing it, right? Uh, Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. Just stop there. That's the middle of a sentence, but it's, it's the end of the verse. So let's stop there for a second. Uh, the Corinthians were missing the points of their coming together. Uh, specifically, we're going to find out, namely, the Lord's Supper. Which the Lord's Supper, uh, communion, was meant to be a time of fellowship. But instead, what we find about this church is that they were making distinctions between those who had and those who didn't those who were, had the food and those who were going hungry, which led to divisions or factions within the body. Now, this was the very opposite of communion, union. The very opposite of that would be separation or division, which was what was being created in the church. Now, it may or may not seem surprising to you that the gathering might cause division among Christians, can you imagine that? Can you imagine a, a, a gathering where there's, there's divisions that are, are created? And I want you to know there, there are lesser things that have divided the church in the past and that are dividing the church today, aren't there? You might be aware of some of those things. Maybe you've experienced it yourself, or maybe you've heard the stories, right? The churches who get upset with each other about the color of carpet, right? There's a day and age where I didn't actually believe that, that actually could happen. I actually di- didn't until I had some of my own personal experiences, and then I realized that, that that's actually true. As silly as it sounds, it's actually true. It's, it's not a good look for the church, but it's actually, it's actually true. Or maybe a, a building project that goes sideways, or finances, how someone thinks the church should be doing it and how others think the church should be doing it. Music, that, that never is divisive, right? <laughs> Music styles or, or personal preferences, I want church to be like fill in the blank. Political affiliations. Our current moment. Masks or no masks, right? None of these things would cause division, right? None of these things coming together at a gathering where there could be division. Sure they do, right? They happen today. They're happening today. There are churches that are dividing up. There's factions or divisions over these kind of things. 
And Paul is writing to a church specifically about a specific thing concerning the Lord's Supper. But the application to us is to say, this stuff happened then, it happens now. Paul continues in verse 19 of, of saying this about the factions, the divisions. Verse 19, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So Paul makes the point of saying that actually what's happening is the, the factions or the divisions actually showing who is who. It's actually exposing who is, in his words, ge um, genuine or sincere or those who are judged worthy or tested and approved. Verse 22, uh, 20 through 22. When you come together, um, it is not the Lord's Supper that you, you eat. So they, they were, but he's saying what you're doing is not actually the Lord's Supper. Verse 21. For eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul's saying, listen, your, your attitude towards this gathering is self-centered. You're, you're only thinking about yourself. You're only worried about your food and your drink and what you want, which does not correlate with what the Lord's Supper represents which the Lord's Supper represents this selfless, sacrificial love of God through the death of his son. The Corinthians were missing it in favor of their own wants, in favor of, of what they thought was the way it should be or what they wanted it to be. Selfishness apart from Christ, and let's, listen, it's not just true for the Corinthians, it's true for you and me. Selfishness apart from Christ is a default attitude. We can, we can fall into that just as easy as the Corinthians. We can look at that and say, well, I can't believe they would divide up over blah, blah, blah. Well, check our own heart. Paul then goes into some instructions about this communion, about this Lord's Supper. And he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now you've probably heard those verses a time or two. Right? If you come to this church, you hear them almost every month, right? We read from this passage uh, when we take communion, and they are familiar words. But what we would like to do this morning is just uh, exp show or draw out some of the uh, biblical truths that Paul lays down for communion, of what communion is. And the first thing we find is that communion is reverent or it's sacred. In verse 23, he says it is that he received this from the Lord. And then he goes on to, to quote uh, what Jesus had said. Now, Paul didn't reference tradition as his authority for telling them about communion. He didn't say, well, this is how we always do it, so that's why this is right. Or this is what the guy before me did, and so that's why we always do it this way. No, he says, this is what the Lord said. These were the words of Jesus. This is how Jesus um, broke the bread and how he gave us the cup. What Jesus instituted, we find that the early church continued Paul 
continue to teach and we today practice. Communion is a special, a sacred, a reverent exercise because it is from the Lord. Secondly, we find that it is commanded or it's required. Verses 24 and 25, both, in both verses, the Lord says, do this, do this. Communion is an ordinance and it is required for a church to partake in it. It is what the church is meant to do. It is part of what makes a church a church. Churches that don't um, participate in the ordinances, that being baptism and communion, namely, uh, they're they're not doing what God has called them to do. That's not a church. A church... Um, participates in the ordinances. This is not optional. It's not a suggestion. Jesus isn't saying, this is a good idea. Maybe you should do communion every now and then. No, he's saying, do it. Do this. It is a scriptural command. And we don't get to decide, right? We don't get to decide what the commands are and what they're not. We don't get to decide if we want to follow that command or, or, or we'll leave that one on the side. What God has called us to do, we must do. Thirdly, Communion is a representation. Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. Now, this gets into a a number of of issues. Uh, And if you know people of other faiths or other denominations, we should say, um, there's some different ideas that that come out of this this language. Uh, For some, when they read this, they read it literally, meaning um, they see it as Jesus saying, it, it literally is my blood, it literally is my body. And therefore, they come to some very different conclusions about what's happening in communion. Um, there's a view that um, basically says that what ha- is happening in communion is that the, the bread and the wine or the cup are changing into the body and the blood of Jesus. The fancy word for this is transubstantiation. And the word tran is talking about changing, right? It's talking about uh, beyond or through or across. In substance, substance, the being or the material. And so it's this idea of, of this, this bread and this cup that's changing into something. And this was a belief that's held to by the, the Catholic Church. That the, the bread and the wine literally become the body and the blood of Jesus. And so... If you talk to someone who is Catholic, that's one of the reasons why they feel that it's so sacred is because the bread and the, 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 the cup are becoming the blood of Jesus. That's not why we believe that it's reverent, but that's one of the reasons they believe that it's reverent. Well, one of the problems with this view is that when Jesus said this, this is my body, this is my blood, he was sitting right there. Meaning he was in bodily form when he pointed to the bread and said, this is my body. And when he pointed to the cup, he said, this is my blood. How could that be his body and his blood if he is physically present when he is pointing to those things? It's not possible. Or we can think of it this way. If I were to show you a map of the United States and said to you, this is the United States, none of you would say, that's literally the United States. No, you would say, that's an image of the United States. That, That signifies the United States. Right? No one would actually think that on that screen is the United States. Right? In a similar fashion, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, this is my body, this is my blood. Not literally those, that, those things, but they represent 
like a map or a picture of a map represents the United States. So the body and the blood represent the, blood, the body and the blood of Jesus. Additionally, Jesus uses this symbolism himself. In John chapter 6, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. And he didn't mean himself that he was literally a loaf of bread. He was pointing to it as, a, as an analogy, as a, as a symbol. Also in chapter 6, he refers to himself as the bread which came down from heaven. Also in chapter 6, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Was he somehow suggesting some cannibalism happening there? Of course not. Of course not. Though, to be fair, if you read John chapter 6, there were some who heard that and they were like, whoa, I'm out. <laughs> I don't know what this guy's talking about. This seems crazy. I'm not going to follow this guy anymore. So the misunderstanding of this isn't, isn't new, right? And to hear him say that might not be that surprising to take it literally. But as we understand the whole of the Bible, as we understand what Jesus was actually doing when he was pointing to these uh, things, we understand that to be symbolism. The other problem, and a more serious problem with this view of transubstantiation, is that it holds to a continuing sacrifice of the body and the blood of Jesus. So if that, if that bread has to become the body, if that cup has to become the blood, where does that body and where does that blood come from? Other than that Jesus would continue to be sacrificed. Hebrews multiple times tells us that there is no longer a requirement for sacrifice. For Jesus made the sacrifice, and it says this language, once and for all. He does not need to be sacrificed again, and you and I are not making sacrifices for it either. The blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross is sufficient. He does not need to die again. He does not need to shed his blood. His body does not need to be broken or pierced anymore. Well, in response to that view of communion came another view. Uh, a view called, if that's transubstantiation, the other one is consubstantiation. And con has to do, has to do with with or being or, or together, with or together. And so in this view, which was in contrast to what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching at the time, uh, meant that, that Jesus is with the bread and the cup. Uh, the bread and the cup do not literally become or change into the body of, uh, of Jesus or the blood of Jesus, but he is present in the elements. Or said this way, Jesus is with, in, and under the elements. Theologian John Frame helps us understand this view by saying that this is that this means the elements are still bread and wine, but Jesus' body and blood are there too. So Martin Luther would have held to a view like this. And though Christ is not literally present, he is spiritually present, as he, they would say, which suggests that somehow, somehow Jesus in his human body, though present with God, which is what Jesus said he was going to the Father, remember, when he ascended, though present locally in heaven, somehow uh, his, his presence, his, um, his presence is, is with the communion elements. Um, they would say that he does not need to descend bodily in order for him to still be present in the partaking of the elements. Uh, this view does deny the, the continuing sacrifice part of the first view, um, but it still holds to some presence of Christ in the elements. Now, the third view is the view that we hold to here. 
and it's called the Memorial View. And it's attributed to, at least in part, to the early Swiss reformer named Zwingli, who took a lot of criticism for this view in light of the reformers, especially John, or excuse me, um, Martin Luther, who clearly held a different view. But he, view, he viewed communion, the bread and the cup, as only symbols, symbols of the body, symbols of the blood of Jesus. So Zwingli would say that when Jesus says, this is my body, what he meant was, this signifies my body. This pictures my body. This is a symbol of my body. He is not present neither physically or spiritually in the elements themselves. Which also, as we keep reading in verse 24, uh, we find also what helps us with this memorial view is when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, which leads to our fourth point, is that communion is a remembrance. Um, it is remembering, not just recalling events, but, but the idea of, of this recollection, recollection that's conjuring up affection for what Christ has done, his personal sacrifice. And look at in verse um, 25, I lost my place. Verse 25. This cup of my new covenant, my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I meant verse 24, sorry. Uh, this is my body, which is for you. That's what I was getting at. For you. So when we, when we remember the, the sacrifice of Jesus, we're not just remembering an event. This isn't just historics. This isn't just, um, he did that. We, we eat the bread, we drink the cup, he did it. That's not all that's happening. We're remembering why he did it. For you. His body was pierced. His blood was shed for you. The ordinance symbolizes and signifies that Christ, what Christ did in his death. It is a reminder. It's a reminder of the gospel of grace. And we find that this reminder is to be repeated. We look at verses 25 and 26, and we see this phrase, as often as you do it. Often. Now, Paul doesn't say how often. Now, some churches do it infrequently. Some churches do it every Sunday. There's no prescribed way of doing it. I've heard some suggest that doing it less frequently makes it more special. And to that, I just wonder, do we say that about anything else? Maybe if we prayed less, it'd be more special. Maybe if we sang less, it'd be more special. Maybe if we came to church less, it'd be more special. No, you wouldn't say it by any of those things. I think we should, should advocate for, for free, more frequent observation of communion, not, not less. Um, for in observing, repeatedly observing, we are practicing this remembrance and we're coming to, to, to reflect on what he's done. We're giving thanks for what he has done. We're giving an opportunity to repent again for our sins, not in order to be saved, but in order because we are, but because we are saved. Verse 26, read that with me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our last two points come from this verse. And the first is that communion is a rehearsal or it's a proclamation. You proclaim. It's, it's an announcement of the message of the cross. Communion is announcing once again that Christ died 
that he died for you. And if you don't know Jesus, then this announcement, this proclamation is a call to believe him. It's a call to hear that Christ has done something for you that no one else would do for you. It's a call to say, this Jesus gave up his very life that I might have it. It's a call to believe. But for believers, it's not as much a call to believe, but a reminder, an encouragement. We ought never to grow indifferent to or get over the gospel. And communion is this nutshell of the gospel. And if our attitude towards hearing the gospel again is, oh, that again, or I've heard that before, and maybe some of us grew up where we, we would hear the gospel repeatedly, and we might get to the point where we kind of feel like, yeah, I heard that. He still dies and he still rises again, right? I got, got that one, right? We're, we're missing what the gospel is, is, is meant to do. It's not just something that we are to, to know. It's something that we are to live out of. I've been there, but the better we understand the gospel, not as just a past event, but as a present reality, meaning it affects and informs our life today, the, the more we will understand and delight in the gospel, Jesus did, in fact, die to save people from their sins, but it's also the same death that continues to save and that keeps us today. See, the gospel is not only an objective reality in that it happened historically, but it's also a subjective reality that we personally experience the joy and the abundant life in Christ because of the sacrifice that he made for us. This is a truth worth proclaiming. So as we take communion, we are proclaiming this reality. We're proclaiming this truth of the death of Jesus. Finally, communion is reassurance. The final part of verse 26 says, we do this until he comes. As we take communion, we are saying he is coming again. Yes, he died. And we're proclaiming this with the confidence that he is coming Again, be it known, the king is coming. Christ will return. And brother and sister, you ought to anticipate that day. You ought to anticipate it. You ought to be living in such a way that you're ready for it. You ought to be living in such a way, as First John says, that we won't be ashamed at the coming of Jesus. The day when, First Corinthians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the shout, sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Communion is a reminder, it's a, it's a reassurance of what is to come. And we say with the Apostle John in Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. Communion reminds the believer of the promise of future joy, the blessing of the presence of God in the presence of God's love and righteousness made possible only through the death of Jesus. So this morning, if you know Jesus, that is, if you have repented of your sins, if you've placed your faith in Christ alone, and are walking in fellowship with him this morning, we invite you to partake. In just a moment, we're going to take of the bread and of the cup. But if you have yet to come to Christ this morning, 
or if you have unrepentant sin in your life, meaning you are aware of sin and you're refusing to repent of it, we ask for you to not take of the cup this morning or eat of the bread. Based on the warnings of Scripture, you follow in your Bible to verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever eats, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the, the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So as we come together this morning to partake in the Lord's Supper, we want to ready our hearts. Before partaking, Paul calls us to examine our heart, examine our life before God. Uh, before we take communion, um, we need to discern of whether or not we would be taking communion in an unworthy manner. And Paul expresses that that's not a small matter. And he talks about a, a judgment, a, a chastening in verse 29. And then verse 30 talks about some sleep, some are sick because of how they've treated the Lord's Supper. But this we know that after we examine and after we confess, we can know this, 1 John 1, 9, that God is faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So forgiveness is available. It's available. As we prepare our hearts, let me read for us a, a prayer. It's a Puritan prayer. It comes from a, a collection of prayers called the Valley of Vision. And uh, just, just follow along. It's, it's a Puritan prayer, so it's, uh, we got some these and thous, but uh, hang in there. And uh, if, if you can relate, if you can uh, uh, agree with it, just amen in your, your heart and your mind as we go through this. Let's pray. Holy Lord, I have sinned times without number and been guilty of pride and unbelief, of failure to find thy mind in thy word, of neglect to seek thee in my daily life. My transgressions and shortcomings presented me a list of accusations, but I bless thee that they will not stand against me, for all have been laid on Christ. Go on to subdue my corruptions and grant me grace to live beyond them. Let not the passions of the flesh nor lustings of the mind bring my spirit into subjection, but do thou rule over me in liberty and power. I thank thee that many of my prayers have been refused. I have asked amiss and do not have. I have prayed from lusts and have been rejected. I have longed for Egypt and been given a wilderness. Go on with thy patient work, answering no to my wrongful prayers and fitting me to accept it. Purge me from every false desire, every base aspiration, everything contrary to thy rule. I thank thee for thy wisdom and thy love, for all the acts of discipline to which I am subject for sometimes putting me into the furnace to refine my gold and remove my dross. No trial is so hard to bear as a sense of sin. If thou shouldest give me choice to live in pleasure and keep my sins, or to have them burnt away with trial, give me sanctified affliction.
deliver me from every evil habit, every, every accumulation of former sins, everything that dims the brightness of thy grace in me, everything that prevents me from taking delight in thee, then I shall bless thee, God of Israel, for helping me be upright. Amen. Jonah's singing to me how deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one sons to glory behold the man upon a cross my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life I know that it is I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His words have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an I know with all my heart His words have paid my ransom Amen. All right, would you stand with me and sing In Christ Alone.
In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live There in the ground his body lay Light of the world by darkness slain Then bursting forth in glorious day from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bar with the precious blood of christ no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of christ in me from life's first cry to final breath jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns Oh, calls me home Here in the power of Christ I'll stand No power in hell No power in hell No scheme of man Could ever pluck me from his hand Till he returns Oh, calls me home Here in the power of Christ I'll stand Lord, our only hope in life and in death is that we belong to you. The one who, while we were still sinners, demonstrated your love by sending Christ to die the death we deserve, offer life to those who repent and believe. God, may we now live in light of that good news, even this week, as we deny ourselves, as we take up our cross and follow you by grace and for your glory. Oh, God, may you help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God.